This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Good morning. You may be seated. Welcome to Church Online. Welcome here in person. It's good to see you. I I am like stoked that you're in the room today because I was concerned that uh, three-day three day weekend that we were going to have a lot of people gone, and I'm glad that you're here this morning. As you can recognize, Pastor Trenton and Pastor Allie are absent, and everyone go frowny face, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. Uh, they're, they're away on a... On a, a a mission of God. They went to PK Escape this weekend. The Oregon Ministry Network does PK recognition, and they're at PK Escape uh, serving their, their counseling as well as Trenton's leading worship, probably pretty close to right now, and we're going to pray for them in just a second. He has three, three services that they're going to lead worship for, and they've been counseling and are being uh, spoiling their kids in, in their rooms. And so we're thankful for them. We're thankful that they got honored to go um, and that they're going to be able to minister hope and life. Amen. Uh, I can tell you that PK, being a PK is not easy, but it is not hard either. PK is one of those things. It's just an awkward situation sometimes. Expectations are placed on them. And so we're asking that I want you to pray with me and just as, as we get, go here. I would, would you pray with me that every pastor's kid, every missionary's kid that is over in Bend, Oregon right now, that as they're gathered together, that they would sense a supernatural hug from God. Can you do that with me? Because they're, they're living in homes that sometimes aren't easy, living under circumstances that aren't, aren't always easy. And so God, in the name of Jesus, we come and we thank you for the, past, the, the, the ministry kids, God, across our network and the ministry kids that are represented at this, at this uh, uh, retreat. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would minister hope, healing, and health. God, I pray that you'd bring stability. God, that you'd bring security. God, where there is insecurity, where there is striving, God, would you bring purpose? Would you give them recognition of who they are? God, not just as a group, but as an individual. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you can do beyond what we ask, think, or even imagine. Holy Spirit, you know them intuitively. You know them beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know every factor about their lives. God, we're expecting that this weekend you would show up and you would do something dynamic in their hearts and minds. In Jesus' name. God, we thank you for Pastor Trenton and Pastor Allie. Would you anoint them? God, as they step into their gifting, as they step into their calling, would you anoint them? God, would you give them confidence and boldness? God, where there might be question and insecurity or comparison, God, would you give them comfort in their giftings this weekend? In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Awesome. They're going to be back. They'll be, they're coming back tomorrow afternoon, and, and we're, uh, we're dog-sitting. We're grand, grand, grand dog-sitting, and I told Rhonda yesterday, I said, we have a neurotic dog, which is Ollie. She's completely neurotic, and uh, she needs counseling. And then we have our dog, Yeti, who is ADHD, and she needs counseling. And so you bring them both into a household, and you cause, uh, I need counseling. Uh, seriously, it's like, Lordy, help me. Uh, you have a dog that Ollie is stuck up and snooty, and she's an old, old, old soul and a young animal, and she does not like to tolerate Yeti at all, who is 
full of life and vim and vigor and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, yeah, pr- pray for us, would you, as we go home. Uh, fortunately, they're locked in individual rooms, so they can't destroy our house. But, you know, hey, um, I want to remind you, you're seeing people walking around with it, with the merch that's outside. And if you have not gotten their sweatshirt, uh, a crew neck, or a, a hoodie, we encourage you to do so. There's stickers out there. There's mugs out there. Our, the, the mug that everyone's kind of been waiting for, the tan one, should be here on Sunday. It is, it's not here today, right? It should be here on sun, next Sunday, and uh, make sure that you, you get those, collect those. Uh, it's going to be a good thing. Uh, good morning. How are you today? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be back in, back in the swing of stuff. Today, we're continuing on with our series, 1232. Everyone say 1232. Uh, I had the uh, fortunate ability to, to sit down with Trenton last week, and we were able to do a team teaching as we dialogued 1232 and what it means and what it should mean to us. Um, so we're going to take a, another step further in this idea of, of what it should mean to us. And what we've realized is this idea of, of 1232, this scripture, is basically encapsulating this idea of relevance and how is, what does relevance look like? And we can look at our culture today and how many have recognized that our culture is going to define relevance one way and we're defining relevance another way. And so we're, we, we, want to, we want to be able to understand that, but we also want to land where God wants us to be in relevance. Uh, we realize that in our lives there's this tension, there's this challenge that we don't want to be Christians who compromise. Amen? Uh, and probably all of us have been tainted somewhat by the world. We've, we've been stained a little bit by what the world and culture is doing. But it's a challenge for us. It's a tension for us to go, how do I, how do I be relevant but not compromise? Uh, as you, if you're aware of what compromise is, compromise is that slow erosion of value, slow erosion of morals, slow erosion of what we stand for. And what we're coming to talk about today, once again, and to be very, very clear, because we don't want to be accused that Pastor Kevin or Pastor Trenton or any of our staff is trying to soft pedal God. We're coming to go, no, God is the standard. God's word is the standard. We're not trying to get you to fudge from him. We're trying to get you to bring this God who is such an amazing God, and how do we rightly represent him to a culture that does not understand him. How many have recognized that our culture does not understand God? They have a definition of God. You have a definition of God. And your definition ultimately may be different than mine, even though mine is right, yours is wrong. No, but we all have this definition that could be a little bit different then. And our world today, our culture today, the communities that you and I are living in, are living in a culture that does not understand who God is. And today we have a challenge, we have a tension that we have to come back and go, how do we rightly represent this God that you and I know is pertinent to every subject and every, every person? How do we rightly represent him? This idea of relevance is, as we define it once again, is closely connected or appropriate to what is being done or considered, appropriate to the current time. Appropriate to the current time. Many of us in our culture, you will experience people that will say that God is outdated. And I want to tell you today that God is the most current thing that's ever been on this planet. God understands, knows, he created, he was there, he is here, and he will be there. And so as we come, there's no, understand, he has, there's no one who understands it better than us. To put it simply for us today, is being relevant is recognizing the differences of the times and the cultures. If you're here today and you're from a different generation, how many of you can recognize the differences of the times and the cultures? You're able to step back and go, that's not what it was when I was a kid. That's not what it was when, that's not what it was yesterday. 
How many know that culture is changing very quickly? It's not what it was pre-pandemic even. And we have to come back and go, recognizing the differences of the times and the cultures. Responding to those differences. Everyone say responding. Your job and my job is to rightly respond to the differences, to rightly respond to the changes that are happening so rapidly around us, rightly responding to those differences in a practical and applicable way. So our challenge as we come into this idea, as we look at this concept of relevance, we have to step back and go, God, the culture has changed. You have not changed. How do we bring this unchanging God to make him appropriate and ex- not acceptable, but appropriate and, and responding to a culture in such a way that God, that God is best revealed, that God is best glorified. First Chronicles 12.32 is a scripture that has been our foundation from Issachar, men who understood, everyone say understood, who understood and the times and knew what Israel should do. Say everyone say knew what. You know, that comes back to an understanding and a knowing, and that's our challenge of understanding and knowing. We made this bold statement last week that we hold, hold dearly, and hope, hopefully you will embrace it as well as we do. God is relevant to all people. Can I tell you I love this statement? God is relevant to all people. As you sit in this room and everyone is different, everyone has different backgrounds, everyone has different futures, everyone has different family and dynamics, God is relevant to all of you. God is relevant to all people, to all generations, to all circumstances, and God's word, this holy book that we preach out of, is relevant to every crisis, question, and social issue. And that's what we come, and that's what we accept, and that's what we embrace today, and that's what we want to communicate. So if this God that we serve, this if God that you and I love, if he is relevant, then how do we rightly portray him? How do we come in this culture that is resistant to God? How do we come in a culture that is a busy culture, that is a hurry-filled culture? How do we come and how do we rightly represent a God that we know is pertinent to every subject and every every matter? St. Teresa of Avila, who was a Spanish nun in the 1500s, she wrote this. I love this. It says, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. You, yours are the eyes through which he looks uh, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. So today, when we talk about the relevance of God, can I tell you this importance is she, whether we agree with her belief system or not, her statements are so true and they're biblically founded. We have to come back and go, if we want to reveal a relevant God, then we have to get busy with our hands and our feet. We've got to get busy with how we view our world in compassion. What I often hear and what I've often discovered in my own time is that it's our hurried culture that, helps, that causes me to miss so much. How many can say that in your hurry, you miss? In your hurry, you miss opportunities with your family. In your hurry to get out the door in the morning, you forget to say goodbye to your spouse. In your hurry to do what you're going to next, you forget to, to hug your kid. In your hurry to do whatever it is, right? Am I correct? Hurry around us has clouded all of these things. I found this online. It says, I'm busy. Uh, notice, I'm busy now. Can I ignore you some other time? I'm busy now. Can I ignore you some other time? Isn't that true about our lives? Sometimes we, we come and we go, I, just leave me alone. I'm busy. I'm busy and I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to worry about you today. We may not verbally say that, but can I tell you that oftentimes that's this internal response that we have? 
In a fascinating research study conducted by Princeton University, social psychologists John Darley and Dan, Dan Batson wanted to see the effects on a person who is being hurried. The unknowing test subjects were conscientious, caring Princeton Seminary students. So I want you to understand the context here are believers, people that are preparing for ministry, people that have a heart for God, okay? They love people. They love what they're going to be doing. Uh, It says, they were asked to prepare a sermon from the parable of the Good Samaritan. Then they would deliver the sermon to their professors for evaluations. The students were brought into a room to prepare, prepare their messages. At some point, they were given one of the of three time-impacting instructions. Number one, a high-hurry condition. They received a message that said, you're late. They were expecting you a few minutes ago. You better hurry. If you don't get there soon, you're going to miss your grade. Instruction number two to another group of people, an intermediate hurry condition. The assistant is ready for you, so please go right over. You're not late, but you will if you don't get there. Number three, a low hurry condition. It'll be a few minutes before they're ready for you, but why don't you just head over there? You can sit over there and you can relax and you can just prepare for your communication, time to communicate. As each student was heading from that preparation room to the auditorium to present their message, they all encountered a victim in a deserted area. This victim, who was part of the experiment, appeared destitute, slumped over, coughing. It was clearly in need of assistance. Here's the test. The seminarians who were not familiar with the, or who were very, not only familiar with the story, but were also going to preach on the story in, in, a, in a presentation. They were, about to te- they were about to teach. Bottom line, with the values they know embra- and values they know and embrace be on top of their minds and would impact them in their hurry. Think about it in your own life. We know the principles, do we not? How many oftentimes we allow hurry to overshadow what you know we are supposed to be doing? The results is this: 10% of the students, 10% of the students in the high hurry situation stopped to help the victim. Nine out of 10 of them did not. 45% of the students in the intermediate hurry stopped to help. Even in a moderate rush, over half of the caring pastor types did not even stop. 63% of the students in the low hurry situations stopped to help the victim. The researchers concluded this, that a person not in a hurry may stop and and offer help to a person in distress but a person, in, a person who is hurried is likely to keep on going. What I want us to realize this morning is that oftentimes the situations in our lives, whether they are hurried or whether, whether it truly is reality of hurry or self-imposed hurry. Anybody you know what I'm talking about? Self-imposed hurry? That I got to get it done? Anybody self-imposed hurriers here? I'm a self-imposed hurrier. I can go, oh, I got, ah, oh, it's urgent. And really, it's a stepping back to go, no, is this really urgent. Sadly, we miss so many opportunities for being relevant and bringing Jesus into a circumstance because of hurry in our lives, because we're consumed with what's going on around us. Billy Graham made this statement. He says, we hurt people by being too busy, too busy to notice their needs, too busy to drop that note. And I'm going to say, send a text of comfort or encouragement or assurance of love, too busy to listen when someone needs to talk, too busy to stop and to care. Today, the title of my message is Hurried or Helpful. 
hurried or helpful? Are you so on a mission to accomplish what your agenda is, or are you in a helpful mode where you're on God's agenda? There's two different things. There's two different opportunities. And today, we want to look at this idea of being on God's agenda. There's a story. There's actually many stories throughout the New Testament that we see Jesus lived his life in relationship with people. Jesus lived relevant to people's needs and situations. But there's one particular one that I want to pick up on. Uh, Jesus was a man of relevance. Jesus was a man that lived his life relating to people, understanding people, knowing how to behave and knowing what to do. And you're going, well, of course, he was the son of God. Can I tell you today that you and I, whether we are, we're not, we're not deity, we're not God, we're not God the son, but can I tell you that we're all, we're all, uh, descendants of Christ Jesus. We're all part of that. We all have the Holy Spirit present in our lives, hopefully, and we should be able to have some of that same relevance. We should be able to walk that out. But today, as we look at the story, I want to look at the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood, her story is actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not in John. Matthew's is a very short rendition. Luke's is a little bit different. And Mark's is the one that I want to focus on today. Mark is, uh, he's known as John Mark. Everyone say John Mark. Uh, if If you're trying to figure out who John Mark is, Mark did not come on the scene until Acts chapter 12 ish. And he uh, was a companion with Peter and companion with Paul. He traveled. Uh, So when we look at this, the gospel of Mark, Mark is writing this not as a first-hand experience. He's actually the scribe for Peter. He traveled with Peter. Even though it's ascribed uh, to to Mark writing this, Peter's telling him all of his first-hand events. So as he's writing these stories, they're all coming out, and you're going to see oftentimes if you read through the book of Mark, you're going to see a lot of Peter. And the reason is, is because when you're telling the story, isn't, isn't it usually about yourself, kind of that pops up in there, and, and Peter is popping up throughout the story. But as we pick up the story in Mark chapter 5, just really quickly so you understand the context. Mark chapter 5, Jesus has just calmed the, the storm uh, for his disciples, and he lands in, in Gezerine, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, where he delivers uh, the, the man that was demon-possessed. He, so he, he calms the storm, the man's demon-possessed, he delivers him, and, they go, and then they finally go, get out of our land, would you get out of here, you're causing, you're, you're causing too much disruption. He gets back in a boat and he goes, on the, goes in this boat and he lands then in Capernaum. And this is where we pick up in Mark chapter 5. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. He says, my little daughter, uh, Luke says that she was 12, is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and that she may live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So we have a 12-year-old and 12 years. There's some significance that we're going to look at in just a second. Verse 26, it says, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she only grew worse. Everyone say she got worse. Have you noticed that sometimes you try every avenue that you possibly can, and the situation just gets worse? Have you seen that in your own life? Have you ever discovered that? Verse 27, it says, when she heard about Jesus. Everyone say, Jesus. 
When she heard about Jesus, I love this. When she heard about Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I would be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she, let, and she felt in her body and she, that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in this crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And uh, uh, Luke talks about it being not the disciples but Peter and it says, you see people crowding against you, uh, Peter said or his disciples answered, yet you, yet you ask, who, who touched me? But Jesus looking around to see, what had, to see who had done it, then the woman knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith is healed. You go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus and the, the synagogue leader, and the, your daughter is now dead. They said, quit bothering this teacher. Overhearing what they said, Jesus turned to the father and says, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brothers of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus, was, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they all turned and laughed at him, and he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was, and he took her by her hand, and he said, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. Uh, at, at, this, at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. We see in this story that there's actually two stories that are taking place, two, uh, two miracles that are going to be processed in this. So the, the, it, the moment with the issue of the blood is actually... Uh, taking place within a larger story. There's a lot that's taking place. And the reason I gave you a little bit of background of where Jesus was doing, what was happening in Jesus' life, is that Jesus was hurried. Jesus was hurried by people. People were hurrying him. People were demanding of his time. Anybody in your life demand of your time? If you're a parent and you have children, you have them demanding of your time. You are hurried to accomplish. Maybe you are hurried today because you work on a job that has a lot of demand upon your life. Peter, Jesus himself, was being hurried by the people. He was being demanded by the people. But the thing that's so amazing to me as we look at the life of Jesus, even though Jesus was surrounded by a hurry culture, Jesus still himself chose to be helpful. Jesus chose not to step into the hurry. Jesus chose to step into people's lives. What we know about this woman is that she was ble had a bleeding condition, often translated as someone who is hemorrhaging. And the issue had continued for 12 years. We're not just talking a, a monthly cycle of a woman. We're talking a 12-year hemorrhage, a 12-year process that is not comfortable and is not fun. That's a very long time. She had visited and spent all of her money and all these treatments upon doctors, and nothing had helped. And today we also know that the Jewish law declared that she was ceremonially unclean. Every woman in the moment of having her cycle would be ceremonially unclean until that cycle would end. But can you imagine with me that this woman for 12 years, day after day after day after day, who had this bleeding condition was unclean. For you to understand what unclean is, we have to go all the way back to Luke chapter 15. It says, when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days and at a time than her uh, a time." Uh, Days at a time other than her monthly period or as a, has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Just in the days of her period, 
Any bed that she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as, in, as, uh, as is her bed during her monthly period. And anything that she sits on will be unclean, as is during her period. Anyone who touches her or them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. What I want you to grasp here is the context of this need of this woman, the crisis of this woman. We're not talking a monthly period. We're talking 12 years, 365 days a year, 12 years, a period that just went on and on and on. With that, we can automatically jump to this conclusion. Because of her uncleanness, she was untouchable by many. Because of her uncleanness, who knows if her family, if she was married, had actually left her home or kicked her out of the house. Because she could not be around in this Jewish culture, she could not be touched. That meant that um, she shouldn't have been out in the middle of this crowd. That meant that she should not be touching shoulders, not only trying to reach the garment of Jesus, but bumping into other people because she was ceremonially unclean and therefore she made them ceremonially unclean. The fact that she was in the crowd pressing around Jesus means that each person who bumped into her would also be unclean and would not be able to rightly approach God until a day had passed. But this 12-year suffering brought a desperation. Can I tell you today, when I think of desperation, I look at our culture who is desperate for relevance. They're desperate. Even though they may not know they're desperate, they're desperate for answers. They're looking into so many other things. You may have family members. You may have friends. You may have people you work with that are looking into whatever it is to find an answer. Can I tell you today, you and I have that answer. God himself has that answer. This unnamed woman not only suffered from continuous bleeding for so many years, but she was dirty and unclean in her community. She was rejected by people. Let me ask you today, you may be a loner in this room. You may love to be by yourself, but I guarantee that somewhere underneath all that aloneness, everyone wants some contact with somebody sometime. Twelve years of forced aloneness. Can you imagine the psychological issues she was facing, not just the physical issues? Can you imagine the insecurity that she was experiencing? Can you imagine what culture looked at her and said, you're unclean? Can you imagine what she began to even think about herself because of what the culture was rightly declaring over her because of her situation? Can I tell you today, you and I have a lot of things that you and I are struggling with, whether we are forced quarantine for two years or whatever it is that we're experiencing with covid you and I at least have technology and we have ability to connect with people. And we have this thing called texting that you can send a text to somebody. You can reach out for help. You can talk to someone on the phone. This woman was quarantined. She felt depressed. She felt alone. She felt desperate. But as we look at this story, I want to give you three things that shows us Jesus and his relevance. Jesus and his desire to help in the middle of a hurried schedule, in the middle of a crowd that's pushing and calling and demanding of his life. Number one, Jesus was insightful. Everyone say insightful. 
Jesus was insightful. Yes, it's another fancy word for understand. We talked about understand last week, but I want you to grasp this understanding of insightfulness. Mark chapter 5, verse 27 as we see it here, it says, when, Jesus heard about, uh, when she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in, in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I would be healed. Can you imagine with me as we think of the friends and our family that go, if I could just do? Anybody ever heard that statement from somebody? If I could just, then I could? Can I tell you her desperation's on the edge of her seat to go, if I could just, out of desperation, touch Jesus, the garment of Jesus, I could be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped as she touched him. And it says in verse 30, and at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Jesus realized there was an insight. There was a perception. Jesus was aware. This idea of insight is is the capacity to gain an accurate, I want you to get this, an accurate or deep intuitive understanding of a person or situation. Deep intuitive understanding. I can't stress understanding enough. When we talk about understanding, probably the very first step that you and I need to step into in relevance is understanding. Not your understanding, not through your sight, not through your hearing, not through your your lens that you have, but through an understanding that only God can give us. Because I can tell you this, my lens of your situation is different than your situation. Your lens of my situation is different than my situation. I can tell you this, as we've walked through cancer, no one understands cancer unless you've gone through cancer. And that's not an insult against anyone that hasn't, but can I tell you this? I don't understand cancer like Rhonda understands cancer. And I lived with her, and I dealt with it. There's an understanding that comes, an intuitive perception And we're coming into a situation, we talk about society, we talk about this woman, that God, Jesus himself, had a deep intuitive understanding of her situation. This deep intuitive understanding is a spirit-led aspect. The spirit who knows all things leads us into this knowledge. This desperation that you and I need connection with God the Father, God the, the Son, but also God the Holy Spirit. That we need to have him present in our life. We need to be spirit-led people to be insightful people. Jesus was aware when someone touched him in faith versus someone just touching him. Think about it. You and I come through life and we are rubbing shoulders with people that are touching our lives. But are we aware of how they're touching us? Are we alert? Are we insightful? You know, we see the story and we see that it's, uh, here, here Jesus is coming going, who touched me? And Peter turns and goes, duh, there's a crowd of people. Peter's not seen with insight. How many of us walk through life and we don't see with insight? People's lives are bumping against our life and we're just hurrying through. And today I want to invite you into this aspect of understanding Have you ever been supernaturally aware of something that without God, the Holy Spirit, you would never have been aware of it? Have you ever been in a situation where you just automatically, deep intuition came that you're going, that's not my natural ability, that's something bigger than me? Can I tell you today, you want to be relevant in a culture that is desperate for something? You will never be You will never, ever be relevant until you can step into this understanding and being spirit-led, insightful by the Holy Spirit. 
It's so easy for us to step back and to criticize Peter, to go, Peter, come on, you walk with Jesus. How come you don't know that he got this spidey sense about him? You should have known, Peter, but can I tell you that oftentimes you and I are guilty of Peter. You and I go through life being Peter, not Jesus. What I've had to come to in the middle of all this is Isaiah chapter 55, a passage of scripture that you've read, you've heard, you've heard preached, because if you've been at this church any length of time, I've preached it, but I want you to hear it once again, and I want you to hear and grasp the depth of this. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. People today, I want you to come and I want you to go, God's thoughts are not your thinking. And you might be thinking you're completely right. You might think your angle is right. You might think your agenda is right. You might think your perception is right. But your thinking is not God's thinking. And unless you holify, I just created a word there, unless you make your thoughts holy, if, you're not, if, if you don't bring him into the holiness of God, your thoughts are not matching his thoughts. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are so much higher than the earth. As the heavens you cannot even see the expanse of. He says, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Today, when we come into a situation in our life and you're going, God, I just don't understand. The only way you will ever understand is holy insight. And sometimes we're never given holy insight. Sometimes we have to step back into Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight, even though you don't get it. Today, we have to come to a place, God, we desperately need Holy Spirit insight. You want to be relevant to your family? You want to be relevant to situations? You need the Holy Spirit. Number two, Jesus was interruptible. Jesus was interruptible. I'm going to just tell you right now, I hate this point. I confess, Kevin, I'm standing in front of my counseling group right now. Kevin has had a problem in his life with being a control freak. Anybody control freaks here? Anybody not like interruptions in your life? Anybody have a plan and an agenda and you have a time frame on that agenda and you know that it needs to be accomplished in that agenda and then interruptions happen and your agenda gets thrown out the window? Some of you are looking at me like, Kevin, you have heart issues, which I realize that, yes, I do. I've realized in the middle of COVID that I couldn't control any of it. It was out of control. And whether COVID was for you or for me or whatever, God put me in in quarantine, and COVID, because I can't control it. And I've had to come to a place to go, God, this interruption in life is a holy interruption. Whether we like it or whether we can recognize it or not, there's a lot of things that are coming out of it. If you like to control your circumstances, you like to control your schedule, you like to control traffic, you like to control emergencies, anybody, you know, it's like, it's not time for an emergency right now. I don't, I don't have time for an emergency. Can I put you off? Let's schedule it six weeks down the road. All I can tell you is this. In interruptions, they produce frustration. They produce anxiousness. 
Now, I've gotten a lot better. Thank you for my therapy session this morning. I've gotten a lot better. I, I'm not, I am much more interruptible, and my wife can say I'm much more interruptible. My assistant can say I'm a much more interruptible. My staff can even say I'm much more interruptible. I realize that people are important. And I can tell you I had to understand that people were important, but I thought my schedule was more important. This idea of interrupt is to stop or to hinder by breaking continuity. Anybody hate it when you're right in the middle of a thought and you're typing or you're doing something and someone interrupts and it starts it all over again and you're like going, ah. Jesus didn't view his interruptions as hindrances. They were not stops. They were not hindrances. They were opportunities. So today I want to kind of shift your idea of what interruptions are. Do you see your interruptions in obstacle, as obstacles or plans that God is trying to do in your life? Today, a lot of us feel like we're in a season of interruption. Whether that's COVID, whether it's a personal circumstance in your life, whether it's a crisis, you feel like you're in this season of interruption and you just want to move on with life. Today, I want to challenge you that your interruption is not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. Whether it's an opportunity that God wants to do something in you or God wants to do something through you. Now, I'm not making light of, your, of, of what you're in the middle of. Don't, I don't want to come and go, your interruption is, but I can say that God has allowed the interruptions in your life for a reason. How many can accept that today? They're there for a reason. If God is sovereign and God knows all things and is in control of all things, God knows what's going on in your situation. But what I love about this is that God, Jesus himself, was not about the hurried life. He was about the helpful life. Matthew chapter 9, we see it revealed in the scripture. And it's a few verses after the Matthew segment of uh, the, the, the woman with the issue of blood. In Matthew 9, 36, he said, He had compassion upon them, for they are harassed and helpless. Interruptions came, and rather than him being frustrated, rather than him being inconvenienced, he paused long enough to view them with compassion. When you and I encounter the helpless and the harassed and the hurting and the annoying and those that want to demand your time, whatever it is, and you're going, can I just have five minutes? Can I tell you today that God's going, would you just have my heart? Would you be moved with compassion? Would you view your children with compassion, rather than an interruption, would you go, no, they're a little bit helpless today, and they're a little bit harassed today, and how do I come and bring the life and love of Jesus into our jobs, into every situation that we have? We see in this passage of Scripture that Jesus stopped. He, Jesus, Jesus kept looking around to see what he had done, who, who had done, who had touched him. He had stopped. He was interruptible. He stopped in the middle of this urgent affair that he was in the middle of. We can't forget about Jairus in the middle of the story. That here he came and he's the one that's saying, Jesus, I need you to come. If you would just lay hands on my daughter, she'd be healed. One translation says that it was her only daughter, his only daughter. The urgency that was there. And can you imagine as Jesus walking through the crowd and everyone's going, Jesus, it's Jesus. And he's pausing and he's smiling and he's waving. And he may be touching kids as he's going through in this crowd. And can you imagine what's going on in Jairus if he's at all like me? He's going, Jesus, 
My need is pertinent right now. Would you just minister to my need? Anybody ever feel that way? Jesus, why are you pausing for someone else? It's evident you're working in their life. Why don't you pay attention to my life and fix my situation? Do you ever feel that way? Do you feel like sometimes Jesus is interrupted and he's dissuaded? Do you ever get impatient with him? How many to be honest to raise your hand to say, I've been impatient with God? What Jesus lives out of is this uninterruptible moments. He lives in this idea that time was not running out, but today, right now, is the right time. The moment that I'm living, the moment that I'm acting, the moment that I'm being is the right time. Can I tell you how important that is, being insightful, but realizing that the moment, the present that we're in, it's not to put off until later to come back and go, hey, three weeks later, can I come back and talk to you about your need? Can I tell you, it's at the moment, it's at the time. Jesus was not saying, hey, woman, wait. Hey, Jairus, I'm busy right now, wait. He's going, as he went, he was there, he was present in the moment. What that says to me is that I need to be living my life, my right time right now. I need to be highly sensitive to what he's doing, being insightful, being interruptible. And lastly, Jesus was intentional. Jesus was intentional. He did what he did on purpose. He did what he did deliberately. There was no second guessing his behavior. There was no stopping and going, should I have done that? No, Jesus was living his life on purpose. Jesus was intentional to meet the need. The life of Jesus was lived uh, with his intentionality. His life was described and observed by his deliberate action of doing the will of the Father. Jesus was a man who lived with purpose and who was living on purpose. As we jump forward into Acts chapter 10, we hear some amazing words that are written about Jesus. Words that I find so powerful. Powerful in my situation, and hopefully you find them powerful in your situation. Verse 38, it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus was anointed. Then Jesus, he went around doing good, and he went around healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Can I tell you that even though that's, that, that's a context of time, the book of Acts was written after the Gospels, and therefore Jesus had already died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. The writer of Acts is writing a fact about Jesus of what he was, but not just what he was. He wasn't just putting him in a time frame, what he is today. That even though Jesus may not be physically walking with you or I, Jesus has been anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus went around and goes around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus wasn't focusing just on a surface need. You know, we look at this story of the woman at the well, or the woman with the issue of blood, and her surface need was just heal the bleeding, just just heal her, right? But as we have pointed out, that twelve years of bleeding, twelve years of rejection, twelve years of isolation, twelve years had created so much more than just a physical need. Today, 
There are people in your life, there are people in this room that have been in a situation and a circumstance. And it requires much more than just a physical healing or just an instantaneous response. What I love about Jesus is Jesus never does anything partway. Do you ever go to God just to get your need met? At least the understanding of your need? We come to God and we go, God, if you would just fix this one thing, everything would be right. Everything would be good. Can I tell you how many times I've prayed prayers that are so real to me, but in God's eyes, they might even seem a little bit ridiculous. Going, if you just fix it, and God going, Kevin, remember my understanding is so much bigger than your understanding. I can't just fix this one thing without paying attention to this and this and this and this. He realizes that his response has a, has a, a wave effect in culture, a wave effect in lives. God wants to go to deeper issues. He wants to hit the heart condition, the soul condition, the self-image condition, the God-image condition, the trauma that we have been experiencing. Oftentimes, we just think if we could put a Band-Aid on it, it would solve it. You and I think that we can see someone in life and go, if I could just fix that one thing and put a Band-Aid on it, it would solve it. Can I tell you, no, there's so much more. We call it sin, the heart of sin at the depth of all of it is sin. That's why there's got to be a consistent relevance of who God is in their lives, through our lives. And I can tell you this, if he's not relevant to you, he will never be relevant out there. If he's not relevant to your life right now, your situation right now, you have nothing to offer anybody. Would you think about it with me? God, for whatever reason, in his sovereignty and in his justness allowed this woman to suffer for 12 long years. Think about it. Jesus would have been in his teens when she started suffering. Jesus was, or this woman was suffering before Jesus even stepped into full-time ministry. But God, in his purpose and in his plan and in his deliberateness and his intentionality, said this day in Capernaum, Jesus is going to get off of a boat and he's going to be on his way to a mission to solve and to heal something. And this woman is going to encounter him. After 12 long years, I'm going to heal her. Not only am I going to heal her of her physical malady, but I'm going to heal her mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I want to ask you today, do you really think that that woman who is in eternity today looks back on that moment and goes, God, I just can't believe you waited for 12 stinking years to heal me. No. Can I tell you, as a result of her story, the gospel truth in her story, her story has touched people's lives throughout the generation, throughout the years. That there was an understanding and a reality that God goes, no, for this moment, I'm going to heal her. And it's going to be this moment that looks inconvenient. It's going to be a moment that seems like something else should be happening. Not only was Christ interruptible, he was intentional. And he calls her out again, and he's waiting. He's waiting. He has this awkward moment 
Remember that awkward moment when you accepted Christ Jesus and you were supposed to go down the altar and you're like going, oh, should I go? You're feeling the inside and everyone's going to look at me. This woman's going, I'm guilty. It's me. I touched him, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm better. What am I going to do? I'm going to, do I call myself out in all this? And Jesus is just waiting. Doesn't say how long he waited, but I can just go. Which one of you? And you're saying, really, does he not know? I really believe he knew. But he needed something from the woman. He needed the woman to come forward and go, it was me and I'm healed. Can I tell you why it's so important for this to happen? This is Jesus in his intentionality. This is Jesus in his completeness. Because Jesus didn't just come and touch her physically. He didn't just stop the bleeding of the blood, the blood at the, after 12 long years. Jesus restored her status. In the middle of all this crowd, in the middle of all this group, people that maybe were family, people that she went to the, at one time, rubbed shoulders with, went to the market with, were friends with, went to their homes, people that she was in isolation from. And this moment, not only was she healed, but he restores her socially. He restores her relationally. He calls it out to go, no, look at her. She's healthy. She's well. You, we, you can go back to life. And what I love most about this is that he restored her value. Culturally, he was to call her woman. In this pastor of scripture, he called her Daughter. Jesus wasn't just coming to go, I'm going to heal you. Jesus, I'm not going to restore hope back into your life, restore back into the culture. Jesus is coming and going, I'm going to give you an identity. I want to overwrite all the trauma. I want to overwrite all that people have said. I want to overwrite all this thing. You are my daughter. And it goes on to say this. He says, go in peace. You are freed from your suffering. Wow. Go in peace. Go, don't, don't agitate any longer. Don't worry anymore. Don't go wondering, am I acceptable or am I not acceptable? You are now accepted. Go and be free. Go and live your life. Go and be free from suffering. As I close today, this miracle inside of a miracle, you're saying, what happened to Jairus? Well, we all know that Uh, Jesus went on to heal him. But in the middle of all this waiting, in the middle of all this taking place, Jesus, Jairus got word that his daughter had died. Jesus turns to him and says, don't be afraid, just believe. And someone in this room, I just feel in my spirit, I need to say this. Someone in this room is going, I see Jesus doing in someone else's life. I see Jesus has done something in someone else's life, but he's forgotten about me. Jesus is coming and saying, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. I know your situation. I know your circumstance. Just like I had it was insightful with this woman, I'm insightful with you. Just like I was interruptible with this woman, I'm interruptible with you. Just like I'm intentional with this woman, I'm intentional with you. Over and over again, as I look at God's word, I'm repeatedly amazed repeatedly amazed at the stories of Jesus that he became unclean by cultural standards to touch someone who was unclean. When you think of the Jewish law, 
Jesus was not allowed to do all of those things that he did. That's relevance. Today, you and I oftentimes get concerned about, oh, am I going to be tainted? Am I going to be, is, are they, what are people going to think? To be relevant, you've got to be willing to step out. Step out. To offer clean to unclean. And in the middle of it, you might look a little bit tainted. In the little, some of it, you may be put into a category Can I tell you, Jesus was put into a lot of categories and his purpose was to honor his father. As I close today, Ephesians chapter two, I wanna bring us to the end here. Christ was willing to become ceremonially unclean for us. Ephesians two verses one through 10 says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and you were dead in your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and his thoughts. Let me ask you, do you remember those moments? Do you remember the moments when you needed a relevant God to show up in your life? Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath but because of his great love for us, but because of his great love for us, but because of his great love for us, but because of his great love for me, for his love for you, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Jesus, even when we were dead in transgressions, even when we were hopeless and despairing and destitute, For it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the coming ages that just continues on. He might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith that it is not from yourselves, that it is a gift from God. Say, it's a gift from God. Can I tell you today, we sit here in the midst of an amazing gift from God. And yet there are so many people that are out there that have not encountered this gift. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that you or I can boast in any of the things that we've done. Verse 10 for we are God's handiwork. We were sto- we're, we're his handiwork were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance, in advance for us to do. Today as we come, you and I are partakers of this grace. You and I are partakers of this great love. You and I are partakers of this amazing mercy that we can step back and go, God, thank you for being relevant to my life. How many can say, God, thank you for being relevant to my life? And we can rejoice and we should rejoice and we should celebrate in the middle of that fact. But the reality is this. He didn't save you to keep it all to yourself. He saved you to say that you were God's handiwork created by Christ Jesus to do good works, to continue to reveal that relevance to so many people around us. In a culture that's hurried, in a culture that's fast-paced, 
We have a decision to come and go. Am I going to be helpful? Am I going to be hurried? I want to remind you today, now, this moment is the time that many times we just need to stop and we need to say, God, I'm going to be interruptible. Today, would you just bow your heads? I'm going to lead you in just three lines of a prayer. God, today across this room, if you're serious about this, would you just lift your hands as a sign of receiving? God, today, God, give me insight. Would you just say that? God, give me insight. God, give me insight more than just the natural, more than just the senses. God, help me to be led by your spirit. God, today, would you help me to be more interruptible? Would you just say that? God, help me to be more interruptible. God, I know that all of us face situations and circumstances that seem like they're so pressing and so important. And they probably are. But God, nothing is more important than being on mission and purpose for you. God, help us to be more interruptible. Last one, God, help me to be more intentional. Would you say that? God, help me to be more intentional. God, as I leave this room today, God, help me to be more deliberate in my obedience to you. God, as I wake up tomorrow morning, help me to be more deliberate in my response to you. God, all these three words, these three things, God, help us today. God, they signify relevance. They signify recognizing and responding in an appropriate manner, bringing the message of Christ to the reality of people's situations. God, empower us today. Empower us today. God, I thank you for this illustration that the men of Issachar understood and knew what to do and they were determined to walk it out. God, let that be something that we leave this place today, not just inspired by a message or challenged by a message, but that our lives are changed to walk it out differently. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you're here today and you need prayer, our prayer team's coming across the front right now. They love to pray with you. They believe in the power of prayer and they believe that God can do something supernatural in your life. And sometimes their faith may be all that it needs. Just a little, you're, You might have just a little bit of ounce and their faith on top of it could just knock it out of the park. And so we invite you to come and pray with them if you would like to. I want to remind you that Connect Groups are Wednesday night. If you haven't signed up, I think there's only two weeks left, but you can uh, sign up for one of those. We had a great turnout this last week. Uh, as well as see you next Sunday. Have an amazing, amazing week. If you want to pray during the lunch hour, you can come to South Campus from 12 to 1 on Tuesday to Friday. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.